0: Welcome to Inside the Crease, the podcast from Power Hockey Canada, dedicated to the power hockey community, showcasing the sport, the players, the coaches, and the unique and inspiring stories of life with a disability that break down barriers. Now, please welcome your host, Matt Vocino.
1: All right, everybody. Welcome to this edition of Inside the Crease, presented by Power Hockey Canada. I'm your host, Matt Lucino, and joining me today is a longtime para hockey athlete and current assistant professor of disability studies at King's University College, which is part of Western University in London, Ontario, Jeff Preston. How are you doing today, Jeff?
0: Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me on.
1: Of course, anytime. Thanks for, the, thanks for the blessing us at this opportunity to speak with you. It's awesome.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's going to be good.
1: I love that London Knights jersey. It's pretty sweet.
0: Yeah, I'm going vintage. you got to represent the brand, of course. Of course. Um, this is, I should note, this is a Mitch Marner jersey, of course, um, because uh, we're only fans of good hockey teams here. So uh, London Knights and Goliaths go.
1: Exactly, Goliaths so We got a big little push here before the playoffs.
0: Yep. It should be yep. good. Yep. It was just alienated half the country, but that's okay.
1: That's uh, all right. That's all right. Anyways, Jeff, we'll jump right into it. Um, so obviously you've been a power hockey uh, player for a long time. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved in the sport?
0: Yeah, totally. So many, many, many moons ago, long time ago when I was just a kid, uh, I uh, there's a rehab center here in London called Times Valley Children's Center (TVCC), okay. and uh, so I go there, and that's where my doctors were—my neuromuscular doctor, my surgeon. Everyone was kind of working out of there. So we were there one day, and one of the one of the staff at TVCC mm-hmm. uh, kind of pulled us aside, and they said, "Oh, Jeff, like you're really into hockey. You should. You guys should stick around this afternoon." Come down to the gym. We're doing this exposition uh, where we're gonna have a couple guys from the local wheelchair hockey team. Mm. And we were like, "What the heck is wheelchair hockey? This is unbelievable!" So we stuck around. We stayed. We went and uh, and met some of these guys, and they had sticks, and they set up a bunch of little training things. uh, You know, some pylons and some nets, and they taught us a little bit about the game and. I like immediately kind of fell in love. Um, I was like, this is, this is great. Like I had been playing hockey, like road hockey in my hometown yeah. and playing hockey at school, but I never was in a situation where I felt like a meaningful part of the team. Right? Sure. Like I was either the goaltender because my wheelchair was big uh, <laughs> or I was like the defenseman. Cause then I yeah. would not have to shoot the ball, but mostly like my interactions in hockey as a child was like, get it in the way of the ball. That was all mm-hmm. I could really do. And then when I was placed into this gym with these other people who had electric wheelchairs, I suddenly wasn't the slowest. I was about the same speed as everyone else. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the weakest. I was about the same um, muscle ability as everybody else. And I finally was a part of a team that I felt like I could be a contributing member. Uh, and Absolutely. so I I had a blast. I had such a good time. And these two guys, these two, two old guys, they've been playing for a while here in London, they are watching me play, and they are identifying my parents in the crowd. So mm-hmm. they go over to my parents, and they start, like, the hard sale. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that your son would really benefit from coming out and playing. It yeah. would be great. You should do it. Uh, and the complication was that I, at the time, was living two hours away from London. by, okay, by wow. off. I was yeah. in a small town called Port Elgin. And so playing wheelchair hockey meant that my parents would have to drive me Two hours to London, play a game.
1: And then two, two hours, hours back.
0: back. And so mm-hmm. we were looking at a four-hour commute every Friday night. Exactly. Uh, I did not think that it was going to happen. But those two guys, I don't know what they did. I don't know if they bribed my parents. <laughs> uh, but for whatever reason, my parents said, sure. So when I was in grade seven, I was 12 years old. Okay. My parents driving me two hours to London once a week uh, in the winter uh, to play ultra <laughs> mm-hmm. hockey uh and i started playing and i was like yeah this is it i like this is what i want to do basically all the time uh and i have been playing pretty consistently now uh since then and i'm i don't even know how old i am anymore covid time i don't know i think i'm like 37 or 38 i'm almost 40 uh so whatever whatever what that i know i'm very young looking i agree. <laughs>
1: totally agree um so so, I've been playing for a while. yeah exactly so like you said I guess it's been over twenty years, it sounds like. It's a long time. Definitely a veteran. Um what have your sort of biggest takeaways and experiences have been from playing power hockey the last twenty
0: years, two decades? Yeah. There's so much. I mean, like if you if you just compartmentalize like the sport of it. Mm-hmm. Um just like the physical activity and and the fun. Like it's fun, win or lose, it's fun. It's fun to play hockey. Um, and you made the friendships and the friendships have okay. been nominal, um, you know, not just here in London, uh, lifelong friends that I've made, you know, here in London, but but also friends I've made like right across Canada, mm-hmm. um, start to play more competitively. You know, I've met all these amazing people that are doing all sorts of wonderful things, uh, that also happen to play, uh, play wheelchair hockey. And so, uh, those friendships I think are really, really important and good. And I think on the other side of it, one of my favorite parts about power hockey uh, is that there's like this little edge of activism as well. I think there's a of lot of players around the country that, when you bring us all together, and we, you know we're having some pop and chips after a game, and people get talking, you start to hear a lot of the same problems, right? You start mm-hmm. to hear things like, "Man, the transit is just brutal. Like we can't get anywhere." Or, so man, "Man, like these government support programs." basically mean that we're living in poverty or Mm -hmm. man it's so hard getting a date like people see the wheelchair and they're afraid to date me and they don't want they don't see me as a viable partner or Mm -hmm. uh, like what do i do to get employment like how do i go through school how do i get accommodations to do those things how do i get into a workplace and make sure that my rights aren't being trampled over, and suddenly you have this giant network of people who have Mm -hmm. done it before, have learned a bunch of great tricks, and are also probably pretty connected into the world outside of power hockey, Mm -hmm. and then start to support each other. So I think there's that communal support and that activism that happens, kind of outside of the arena, that is really, really important, uh, and something that I think actually doesn't get talked about enough.
1: Honestly, I I completely agree, Like just thinking about the the podcast episodes that we've had so far, we haven't really talked about that sort of uh, community support network as much. Obviously, you talk about the sport and the friendships, but you're right. There is sort of that network of people that have, have gone through similar experiences. I and mean, when you have individuals that are from a variety of different generations in different stages in their life. There really is that turtle down effect. There the older players that have experienced certain things can pass on sort of lifelong lessons and, and tips that really benefit people. Like, I know from my experience, I started playing power hockey when I guess I would, would have been nine years old. So it's been 15 years now. And you're right, the amount of older guys and, and dolls that I met playing that started talking to me about university and, and not necessarily like telling me, like, don't be worried about it. Like, you'll be able to get accommodations and assistance that you need. You're right. I think that's that's a really great and important piece about the of power hockey is is the community and, and you're really right like the conversations that we do have are about things like uh say rdsp or transportation and just sort of or, or, or accommodations and psw services so i i think i think it's a, a really great point that you brought up there that's a good idea like it's so true um obviously like you said i, I think one thing that you did talk about is you've had the opportunity uh to travel around canada and and play in uh local and international tournaments um do you have any uh, favorite memories or funny moments that really stick
0: out oh there's so many there's so many so i think like you know all every different team gets sort of a different Personality, I think. Like, if you think about the teams in Toronto, they have kind of like a kind of personality about them the way that they play, the way that they function, the way that they approach the game. Same with mm-hmm. Calgary, same with Ottawa. You know, teams get these identities. And I would say London's identity, not that we're not competitive, because we are competitive and we do want to win. Uh, but London also is a team that is like, we want to have a good time. Like, that is like that. a really important part of this for us. That, like, yeah, we want to play hard and we want to like try and win. Um, but like, we are definitely going to do some partying after the games, we're going to be around. And so, you know, some of my best favorite memories of, of of playing winter hockey, uh, the games are great. Like you remember those like highlight real goals, right? Where you're like, Mm -hmm. I cannot believe I just pulled that off. Or, you know, when you watch one of your teammates do something just like spectacular. And you're like, wow, these guys, like, they're freaks. And it's Mm -hmm. unbelievable what they're able to do. Um, That's always really cool. But for me, it's been some of the other stuff that happens, right? Like, there was this tournament in Winnipeg um, (laughs) when, you know, the London team, as always, we were found at the bar, uh, which is where (laughs) you're going to find us usually. And um, I want to be on your team. Yeah, absolutely. And we welcome Like We don't just party alone. Everybody is welcome to come with us. And so we were at this bar, and there was this player from another team who was just like, they were there to have a night. And so they were like, they were buying shots, they were going hard, they started buying drinks for everybody else in the bar. Um, and so the night is sort of winding down, and our, one of our star players, Robbie, um, mm-hmm. gets sort of pulled aside by the waitress. And the waitress is like, uh, "Yeah, here's your bar tab," um, and he's like, "What?" And they're like, "Yeah, that guy, your friend, um, he left without paying his tab, <laughs> and he said that you basically yeah. would take care of it." Yeah, and so there was this bar tab for like hundreds of dollars that this guy had spent, and we're like, "Where did this guy go?" Yeah. And so we're like, obviously we're sort of freaking out. So we're like, whatever. We pulled our money together. Uh, we paid it off because we didn't want to stiff the bar. Of um, And we're like, wow, like that absolute like mad lad out there, like just had a whale of a time. And so, sure enough, the next day rolls around, and uh, and the guy rolls into the gym, and he's got these like blackout sunglasses, oh, and we're oh. like, he was definitely feeling it the day <laughs> afterwards. So, so that was a really good one. We've had like the the outdoor um, the road hockey game that happened after a tournament in Toronto at Humber. Uh, that was a pretty epic moment when like, it was like players and coaches jumping into chairs and mm-hmm. having a huge road hockey game. Lots of beers were being passed around and the, uh, the Toronto police roll up uh, and are like, you guys could be doing this. And <laughs> a player from Toronto rolls over to the cop car, kind of like knocks on the window and then cop rolls his window down. And he looks at him with this sheepish grin and he says, uh, you guys got an accessible paddy wagon, or uh, how are you guys going to get us all out of here? And literally, the cop just rolls the window up and drives slowly away. And so, in that day, I think power wheelchair hockey—we uh, we fought the law and we won.
1: We fought the law and we won. I love that. That is an amazing story. Pretty funny for
0: sure. Yeah, no doubt. So I think it's those are those are I think, the fun parts of of, of power hockey that uh, you know I live for. I think they're just they're great.
1: No, for sure. I, I want to jump back a little bit. I think one thing that you talked about that was really interesting when you started telling me about how you got involved in the sport of power hockey is, is it's sort of a constant theme that everybody sort of touched on so far on this podcast is that power hockey is probably one of the most inclusive pair of sports um, that, that's out there because it, it really doesn't matter what your abilities are, physical abilities are. There's, there's really an opportunity for, for everybody. Do you agree
0: with that? 100%. Absolutely. You know, before power hockey, there were no Paralympic sports that I could really consistently play in, and not in a competitive way, and certainly not in a team sport. Uh, that just was not something available to me. I remember as a child, um, you know, it was uh, it was like the field trip. Uh, they the uh, track and field day. Um, yeah. and And so I had to go out, and I was in the wheelchair race. And, yeah, I was the only person in a wheelchair uh, like in my area. And so I'm in my manual wheelchair racing myself on the track. And I got the gold medal because I was the only person racing. By default. Uh, by default. And then the same in swimming. Um, and at the same time being like, okay, well, if I want to go somewhere else and find people I can compete against, uh, as somebody with muscular dystrophy, I was never going to find... A competitive race with like a bunch of other people with MD. Uh, I would likely end up being Mm -hmm. placed there with people with, you know, cerebral palsy or spinal cord injuries, and they were just going to completely destroy me because they have a physical ability that I just don't have. Mm -hmm. With ultra it was like the first chance I had to actually be able to play with a team and that my my physical weakness wasn't necessarily a disadvantage, Um, but rather I had the opportunity to fill a niche. That was actually For sure. really important to the team. Um, and I think there are so many of us out there that have very different needs and different abilities that are able to fit into these sort of unique little niches within the sport in a way that is like kind of comparable to wheelchair basketball, mm-hmm. kind of comparable to wheelchair rugby, but not really. Uh, this is actually a really underserved group of people, uh, a sort of a unique cluster of people with disabilities that just... Typically, athletics were just not on the table. Very
1: true. And, and I kind of want to touch on that a little bit. Um, so my, by talking about especially wheelchair rugby in particular, you've really made me think of this. Um, I find that in society, when you think about people with disabilities, you think about the people that I call the super athletes. That'll be like the wheelchair rugby stars. Or it's the people that have come and are trying to come out some traumatic accidents. Um, and it's sort of like that hero will they be able to walk again? where people like us are sort of kind of thought about um and i and I know you're your' disability professor, disability studies professor um so so what do you think about sort of the portrayal of people with disabilities uh in the media and and
0: and whatnot? Oh yeah, absolutely. This is like a whole other podcast in and of itself, So true. When we look at when we look at disability, even if we just sort of narrow our focus in on, on just physical disability, just physical impairments, mm-hmm. um, in my experience, generally speaking, disabled characters tend to fall into one of three categories. Generally speaking, and this is like from like non nonfiction to fiction, you know, whether it's like news or whether it's a movie or a television show, mm-hmm. um, typically we have three categories that we're allowed to exist within. Either one, we are the hero in which we rise above our impairments, we overcome them in some way. So mm-hmm. maybe it's that, you know, it's the Stephen Hawking story where it's like, For well, his? he's profoundly physically disabled, but he's a genius, <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know? Or maybe it's the Terry Fox story. It's, you know, he lost his leg, but he ran across Canada and inspired a movement mm-hmm. um, and became an international icon. Uh, or also like the Rick Hansen story, basically the same story. Same thing, yeah. Um, all of these are really rooted in this idea that in order for a disabled person to have any sort of like redeeming value, they have to do something that performs it far beyond expectation in mm-hmm. another ability category. They have mm-hmm. to overcome, essentially. And if they don't do that, then they tend to fall into our second category, uh, which is that of the villain. Um, mm-hmm. So these are our disabled characters that are Uh, twisted by their impairment that they start to uh, look like villains they are angry at the world angry at their loss they're pissed off that they're disabled and they're going to take that out on everybody else Mm -hmm. Um, they're going to be they might be violent uh, they might be conniving or they might just be like kind of mean yeah uh, in some way but they are this sort of this villain that needs to be stopped in some way they're the antagonist yeah they're antagonistic and then the third category, if you're not a villain and you're not a, a hero, then you tend to fall into this third category, which is what I call the burden uh, okay. or the child. And these are these are these disabled characters who are basically profoundly disabled. They are not able to do anything for themselves or very little. And they are absolutely dependent on everyone around them. So this is that, like, you know, what's eating Gilbert Grape? I am Sam, Rain Man. We mm-hmm. tend to see it in the sort of intellectual disability category. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's this idea that disabled people are fundamentally dependent on non-disabled people. They must be cared for. They must be uh, helped and looked after. Um, and probably they're going to die. Uh, that a lot of these mm-hmm. stories tend to wrap with that sort of devastated loss, that sure. disability is a death sentence, they will die. And all we can do is just keep them comfortable uh, until that happens. And these sort of archetypes tend to resonate and come back around and around and around mm-hmm. in media that we've been doing for like literally almost a hundred years. Um, it is uh, it is really pervasive. And the problem, I would argue, is that these narrow boundaries of what means to be disabled and what is a good cripple, as mm-hmm. we would say in the industry, a good disabled person and a bad disabled person, a bad cripple, mm-hmm. uh, these become very harsh lines, which basically says, you need to be this sort of happy-go-lucky, easygoing, hardworking, trying to get better, trying to get cured mm-hmm. and be a good person, be acceptable. Or if you don't do that, then you're doomed to be in this bad category. So if you start to complain about services, if you start to advocate uh, for increased supports, if you have a problem with inaccessibility, then now you are the villain. You become this sort of bad person for Mm -hmm. not being thankful for all the things that the non-disabled have done for you. Uh, And so I think that disabled people are given very few options in the types of people they are allowed to be before they start to feel social consequences for their behavior.
1: For sure, And, and now just building off that a little bit, there's obviously a lot of negative perceptions and stereotypes associated with people that are disabled. How do you think we as as disabled individuals and people that are part of uh, sort of empowering organizations, how can we work together and sort of dispel some of these stereotypes and perceptions that That's a
0: huge question um it's sort of the golden it's the golden egg in some ways that we're that we're out there looking for for sure. Uh, I think there's a ton of stuff that we can do. I would say number one like from a very like the personal is political um mm-hmm. i I really want people to feel okay with themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. I want people to realize that you don't need to fit necessarily into these little categories. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are really proud of who you are and you think that your disability is a good thing, as it's a good thing in your life, uh, I'm here for that. That's sort of more where I am. Like, I think if I look at myself and my disability, if I remove my disability from the equation, uh, my life is very different and I don't think for the better. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if it wasn't for my disability, uh, I wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to play electric wheelchair hockey, which, uh, and, sure. and play it at a level that most people don't get to play. Exactly. Uh, if I wasn't disabled, I'd probably, oh, I wouldn't be a professor of disability studies, presumably. Like it literally has led to my career. Uh, if I wasn't disabled, I, I wouldn't have met my wife. Uh, she recognized me from the wheelchair she'd heard about me previously and mm-hmm. stopped me one day on campus. and was like, Hey, you're that guy. Um, <laughs> Without the wheelchair, like, I would have probably never met her. Uh, And so there are all these things that my life would have been objectively worse, I think, if it hadn't been for the disability. So I'm proud of it. I embrace it. But -hmm. at the same time, if you're somebody who's like, this really sucks, like, I have chronic pain, or there are things that I would love to do which I can't do anymore, or maybe it's degenerative and it's deteriorating, and you're like, man, like, that is not the best. I hate that. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with it, too. I think people need to have the room to be the people that they want to be and to really honour their experience of the world. But at the same time, I think we also need to make space for that. So I think we need to not try and push narratives on people. If somebody doesn't want to try and overcome their disability, then we shouldn't be forcing them to. We shouldn't be pushing them into that. If somebody wants opportunity and needs some, some support and encouragement, then I think we can provide that to them. Um, But I think ultimately, it's about taking the word disability almost out of the equation and Mm -hmm. saying, how do we want to approach people as people? Mm -hmm. Not to say that disability shouldn't be a part of that equation. It absolutely should be. But I think it means we shouldn't necessarily be thinking about people as being needed to be treated differently, as needing to have um, a different method of managing them. um, Of course. We need to approach them in the same way that we would approach, you know, in a university classroom, any Mm -hmm. student and say, well, every student has different learning needs and different learning capabilities and capacities. So too, should we be approaching disabled people and saying, what do you need? What do you need to have a good life? What do you need to be independent? What do you want? What do you like? How do you want to be treated? And we should honor that because ultimately we are
1: people. Absolutely. I want to connect it a little bit back to sports and 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 power hockey in particular. Um, I, I think one big sort of stereotype and misconception that society generally has about people with disabilities that we're incapable of a lot of things, and they don't necessarily see us as athletes. How do you think sports and power hockey in particular sort of can help break down those stereotypes?
0: Yeah, I think there's I think it, there's two ways of looking at it. I think from the player perspective themselves. Power Hockey provides this opportunity where players suddenly get to be meaningful, uh, that they're not just being thrown into a game. The game hasn't been changed and adapted so that they can kind of fit in into this weird, non disabled world. But rather, it's like, here's a world that was made for you, exactly. and a world that you get to play within and you get to excel exactly. in or not, um, and a world in which you know, I think one of my favorite things you when know, my first competitive, like, non-London wheelchair hockey game uh, was kind of trash-talked by another player. And it's like, yo, this is what I was missing. Yes. I like this. This is very Me funny. too.
1: Me too. Um,
0: but there's, like, a bit of sass there. And so I think in some ways it's like, there's this opportunity for people to just be players. Like, yeah. once you get onto the court, you know, you're not really your diagnosis anymore. Now you are a member of a team that is all working together to try and do something uh, incredible, right? to try and win mm-hmm. a championship. Um, and so I think from that perspective, that is super, super important. But I'll say also from the outside, outside the disability community, mm-hmm. um, every year uh, now that I've been teaching in disability studies, um, I tend to bring a group of students with me uh, to come and witness wheelchair awesome. hockey in, in action. Uh, and then they write papers about their, about their experience. Mm-hmm. So I have intimate knowledge of what's going on in their minds uh, and uh, something like that. Yes. Um, and, and the one thing that I hear a lot about the, the students is this, like on the one hand, they are, are blown away by the skill and blown away by the ability. But mm-hmm. like they, a lot of the students say that when they arrived, they kind of assumed that this is going to be like, like a rec league, like no consequences, like mm-hmm. don't keep score, everyone gets a chance. But yeah. they assumed it was gonna be this sort of paternalistic thing. And mm-hmm. then they were like, whoa, no, this is sort of like a, competitive you know, prisoners, like <laughs> that people are getting bumped into and like people care about the what happens and people exactly. are keeping track of scores. And the thing they they really understood I think was Ways in which the players model for them how they should be interacting with and thinking about disability. Mm -hmm. So, when they start talking to players and they hear, like, you know, they see a player point over and they're like, oh, yeah, like, you gotta watch out. That Chris Leskowitz guy is like one of the best goaltenders uh, Mm -hmm. that we have, he is incredible. Uh, Or, you know, oh, you gotta watch over that Corey DeVries guy, he's got a heck of a shot. Mm -hmm. Um, And suddenly, all these players are now being defined by the things that they're able to do, and the benefit that they bring to their team, uh, or or the stories of great things that they've done in the past, as opposed to that guy's got CP, that yes. one has MD, this person over here has a uh, AFL, that guy's got a spinal cord. Like, yes. we're not seen anymore as just these deficiencies and this collection of, of problems, but now we are seen as these sort of like effective players that have these lightesties uh, that live within the sport. And so I think for them, when they come out and they see it, they realize, they're like, oh, wow, this is actually just the same way as any other sport kind of functions. Mm -hmm. Um, And therefore, if this is how the sport functions normally, then why would we treat these athletes differently than other people? Why would we then treat them differently outside of the arena? Why would we consider them to be different people? Um, And so I think there's that really powerful split where they start to see themselves within disabled people because they could relate. They played sports themselves. You know, they were on a team. They did the whole mm-hmm. high school thing uh, or the elementary school thing. And so I think they're like, wow, yeah, we're actually not so different, you and I. And that bringing together thing, I think is a powerful, powerful thing mm-hmm. in trying to break down some of the stereotypes that, uh, that are endemic in our world.
1: And honestly, I, I can't have said it better myself. I think at the end of the day, it, it really shows the power of sport and how it can actually connect people and sort of uh, tear down those things that really uh, separate us and and sort of those barriers that people think that make us different at the end of the day, when we're all playing sports, we're all competitors.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And all bring different things to the table, right? Exactly. No, exactly. Um, Anyways, Jeff, before I let you go, we'd like to finish off our podcast with this thing called the six shot shootout. Now it's time for the six-shot shootout. It's six rapid-fire questions coming at you, so get ready. So I'm going to hit you with six rapid-fire questions. They're usually okay. like chocolate or vanilla, and 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 you pick one or the other. Um, okay. So let me know when
0: you're ready. I'm ready. Let's do it.
1: Awesome. All right. Number one, cake or pie?
0: Oh, cake for sure. What's, your favorite,
1: what's your favorite flavor? or type,
0: ooh, I'm like a red velvet man. Um, I like into that, that into that world for sure. But I mean, you can't go wrong, with Kate. You just can't.
1: No, you can't. That's right. Spring or fall?
0: Oh, easy spring. Fall is death. It is the reminder <laughs> of the horror that is about to befall us. Spring is like the rejuvenation, the return, uh, and also a few months away from national championships.
1: Hmm. I like the way you think, and that's a good one. <laughs> TV or movies?
0: All right, I'm going on my gut here. I'm going to say movies. Okay. I don't want to seem like a snob. <laughs> um, I love TV as well. Uh, but I think if I think about the things that like that stay with me, the like things that I will return to, you, it's <laughs> more often a film that I will rewatch than a TV show. So favorite Favorite movie? I know,
1: it's a tough one.
0: Oh, man, that's like asking you to, like, you know, what child you kill. Um, <laughs> All right,
1: we'll move on. It's okay. Oh, no, no, I
0: got it. I got it. I got it. Okay, my favorite favorite film. Uh, I'm going to go with... Uh, I'm not even going to do one film. I'm going to do a franchise. I'm going to say the Star Wars franchise.
1: Big well, now, Star Wars fan. they are going to laugh. I have yet to see a single Star Wars movie. That is
0: shocking. That is people go to <laughs> hospitals for things like that. I think.
1: I know. You know what? I think I'm gonna have to catch up on those uh, this summer now that I have some
0: free time. Yeah, there's uh, only about three hundred of them to watch. So I know.
1: Good. I know. It's so true. And and the TV shows Mandalorian now and all that. So mm-hmm. I
0: mean, also,
1: of- I've heard. Are you a morning person or a night person? Oh, <laughs>
0: I'm a night person. The morning is the worst. Uh, Me- I'm definitely a night person.
1: Me too. Text
0: or email? Uh, ooh. I think it depends. I like I prefer text for like friends and everything else, mm-hmm. but email definitely for work. It's it's email for
1: okay. sure. Professional. Dogs or cats?
0: <laughs> uh, so I have a dog. I okay. like dogs. I think I'm a low key cat person. Really? Yeah, that's a hot take. But I think I like cats more. I like dogs, but Breaking I think mute. I'm a cat person.
1: Awesome. All right. And Jeff, before I let you go, uh, what do you hope for the sport of power hockey in the next five to 10 years? Where do you, where do you see it going?
0: Oh man. Uh, Well, Paralympic status. We got to get Paralympic status. We all need to come together. I think the players internationally, players in Canada, players in the U.S., players in Europe, players, uh, you know, in Australia, players in Asia. I think we all need to come together and say, you know, whatever, whatever these coaches and, all these other people have to say, we're going to come yeah. together, we're going to find a solution, let's get this going, let's get in the Paralympics. So I think that, that number one. Uh, number two, if that happens, I foresee a Canadian gold medal in the next mm-hmm. 10 years, for okay. sure. I agree. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, and I think number three, I think we're going to see way more women um, entering into the sport in the next 10 to, 10 to, 10 to 15 years, we'll say. Uh, I think there are a lot more women who are getting into uh well women's hockey is blowing up right now which is great Absolutely. uh and power hockey being a, a one of the rare co-ed sports um i think we're gonna see a lot more women that are like yeah i want to try this out let's see what it's like so uh and we've got some like legendary canadian female literature hockey players from mm-hmm. past and present so uh, they'll be in good company those are my three hot takes well, Jeff, I
1: really appreciate you coming on this week's edition of Inside the Crease, presented by Power Hockey Canada. Thanks, uh, thanks so much, and looking forward to chatting again soon.
0: Absolutely, and go nights nice,
1: go. Go Knights nice, go. And go Luzco.
0: And go Luzco. Thank you for joining us on Inside the Crease, the podcast dedicated to the Power Hockey community. If you enjoyed today's show, please like, subscribe, and tell a friend. Visit our website at InsideTheCrease.com and follow us on social media at InsideCrease.